The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Ten days to go until the NFL Draft. Plenty of things happening on this Monday. Good thing we have a show on Peacock at 5 p.m. Eastern, a full hour to catch you up on everything that has occurred throughout the course of the day. A very busy day indeed. Miles Simmons joining me for the next hour. A fully vaccinated Miles Simmons with no ill effects of the nanobots that are now flowing freely through his bloodstream and multiplying while Bill Gates monitors everything Miles Simmons does. Yeah, you know, I have had like just this weird feeling that I need to go and buy a certain type of tablet over the last, I don't know, 24-ish hours since I got this shot. But no, I, other than that, I feel fantastic. But, you know, the 5G I don't think is kicked in yet either. It's unfortunate. Well, maybe it'll happen during the show <laughs> and it'll create a moment that will live forever on YouTube or elsewhere. All right. Alex Smith, a guy who has been around the National Football League since 2005, the first overall pick that year. It seems like yesterday we were trying to figure out, is it going to be Alex Smith to the 49ers? Is it going to be Aaron Rodgers to the 49ers? It ultimately was Smith. He's moved around. He's played with a bunch of different teams, a bunch of different offensive coordinators, and now he decides, Miles, to call it quits without entering into 2021 on any type of a team. Here is the video that was posted by his wife breaking the news to everyone that Alex was calling it a career. So to everyone out there, whether you're a part of Niner Nation, the Chiefs Kingdom, or the Burgundy and Gold, I thank you. To all the men I had the privilege of standing with and playing alongside, thank you. I want to say thank you for believing in me. And thank you for helping me believe in myself and in the impossible. And here we go. Wow. Folks, Alex Smith for the first time since... Because even though I've got plenty of snaps left in me, after 16 years of giving this game everything I've got, I can't wait to see what else is possible. But first, I'm going to take a little time to enjoy a few of those walks with my wife, and my kids have no idea what's coming for them in the backyard. Great story, great guy, great player. I think that we don't, and maybe we'll need some time to understand that Alex Smith was one of the better quarterbacks of his era. He had some incredible seasons. He had some incredible postseason performances. Never got to the top of the mountain. Never was the best quarterback in the game. Never was one of the best 10, maybe one of the best five. At times he was in that fringe, but we always kind of forgot him. And then he had the serious injury, and he'll always be known not just for the injury, but for coming back from it and playing last year and giving Aaron Donald a ride with the full weight of Donald on his back, testing out that surgically repaired leg with all the infections and the procedures and could have died, not could have just lost his leg, could have died. So an amazing run, and uh, I, I thought he'd, he'd end up with someone this year, Miles, and like so many other great quarterbacks who've achieved at a high level, I'm anxious to see what he does moving forward because I'm, 
I'm, I'm betting on him being a success, whatever he chooses to do. Uh, no doubt uh, about it. And, you know, I, I think that some people, my friends, uh, maybe would classify me and, and describe me as maybe a cold, callous person. But I got to tell you, Mike, like watching that video for his retirement and seeing all the things that he went through again, you know, in all that rehab process, it made me a little bit emotional. And him talking about his wife and going on those walks with his wife and, you know, having the kids in the backyard and they got no idea what's coming. I just, I think it's a really, really amazing awesome wonderful story that Alex Smith was able to get back to playing as a starting quarterback and also leading a team to the playoffs I mean yes they were seven and nine with Washington last year but they still were able to make it to the playoffs in large part because of his performance so I just think it's an awesome story and the fact that he got to go out on his terms not because of the injury I think that makes it even better. So yeah, happy trails to Alex Smith. I'm also really looking forward to seeing whatever he does next. I have a very important question for you, Miles, prompted by your most recent remarks. Oh Are you ready for it? Uh-oh. Were you a cold, callous person before or after you joined us at PFT? No, oh, much before. <laughs> it's okay, probably good. why you wanted me to join PFT, if we're being completely <laughs> honest, Mike. Yeah, I've always been an Alex Smith fan, and it seems like he's always fought through some degree of adversity. And the injury and the way that he handled himself after that made me respect him even more. And I'm kind of glad he's not going to play again. I've said this before. When I watch him play, I was telling Rich Eisen this earlier today on his show. I felt like I was watching my son play high school football where every play, every snap, every contact, you're holding your breath. Is he going to be okay? Don't suffer a serious injury. Is he okay? Is he okay? Okay, whew, on to the next play. That's how I felt watching Alex Smith last year. And I think that stress probably complicated the extent to which teams wanted to put him on a football field. Remember, he said that Washington didn't want him playing last year. It's not because they didn't like him. It's because they probably didn't want to deal with that concern. Is he truly okay? Is he suited to play after everything he's been through? And he proved to all of us that he is. And he ended up being the best quarterback that the team had last year. They ended up in the playoffs. Yes, his run ended early because of a calf problem, but I really thought it was impressive. And he's since said that he considered signing with the Jaguars. Urban Meyer wanted him in Jacksonville. And I think it's a combination of other things you want to do, chances of actually playing, what they're compensating you, to continue your career because veteran backup quarterback, it's not a gigantic paycheck. And when you've made almost 190 million in the NFL, you really don't need to chase the paycheck. It's okay. If you do Joe Flacco is in that I'll take whatever I can get to be on an NFL team phase. And that's his prerogative. But for Alex Smith, apparently his priority is unless I'm going to play, I just don't want to do it. And I think that's what it came down to. No one's going to give him the keys to the car He's going to just be an injury replacement or a a none-of-the-above option. He doesn't want to do that. He's moving on. Like you said, he's leaving on his own terms, and not many guys get to do that. Exactly, and that's one of the great things that I obviously think is about it. But, I mean, when you're talking about him maybe joining the Jaguars, and I think we talked about this on the show, Mike, look, he could have maybe been 
a darn good mentor to somebody like Trevor Lawrence. And we've already seen him kind of take on that role with somebody like Patrick Mahomes before. And Mahomes spoke glowingly about Alex Smith even today. So I, I just think that it's great to see that he is able to leave on his own terms. And you know, the fact that he was generating some interest makes sense, but I think he just wasn't going to be a starting quarterback at this point in his career. And if you're not going to be a starting quarterback at this point in your career, then yeah, like why, why do I really want to go and put my body and my mind and all the stress, everything make myself and my family go through all that. You know, I, I think that one of those things you were bringing up about how you were holding your breath every time Alex Smith went out there, Ron Rivera even talked about that a little bit, how he was thinking about, you know, I'm going to be the coach that put Alex Smith back on the field. If something really bad happens to him, in some ways that's going to fall back on me. And so I think that, you know, when you're talking about a coach putting him out there, him going out there, his family thinking about him going out there, it probably lets everybody exhale a little bit when they see that retirement video and they just know, you know what? He's leaving on his own terms. It's done. He made it through that revolving door of coaches and offensive coordinators in San Francisco to lead the team to the NFC Championship game in 2011. The division round win over the Saints, an awesome epic game. It was one of those moments, and they don't happen very frequently, where you are consciously aware that you are experiencing a great game. And I remember that. There he goes with that run. I remember saying during that game to myself as I'm watching it alone I remember exactly where I was and I'm thinking not that I wasn't alone by I was alone not by like nobody wanted to be around me I just remember exactly where I was thinking this is an awesome game this is a historic game all right but my point is this guy was awesome in that game the 49ers and Alex Smith worked and it was the concussion in 2012 that opened the door for Colin Kaepernick And uh, even up until that point, Alex Smith was great. And then he goes to Kansas City. And the game against the Colts, where they were up huge in the second half, he had an awesome game, 30 for 46, 378 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions in that game that the Colts came back and won 45 to 44. So he had his moments. And it never, like I said, never got to the top of the mountain, but was in the vicinity enough that we should appreciate what he did. And uh, to, to survive as much as he did, from teams to coaches to coordinators to offense to this to that. That is as impressive as anything in its own way as any quarterback has done in the past generation. Well, look, you play 16 seasons and you start as many games as Alex Smith did. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're drafted or anything. That is an impressive career. And I think that most players, most quarterbacks even, don't get to where Alex Smith got in his career and you know yes he didn't get to the top of the mountain he didn't win a super bowl but at the same time he was a part of a lot of playoff teams you know if you had alex smith you at least knew you had a chance to win and there's so many quarterbacks who were either drafted that high or drafted lower and become starters that don't always give you that chance to win every single week and i think that competitive nature and everything that he was able to do combined with the fact that he then came back after that devastating leg injury I think we do need to definitely give Alex Smith his props. The guy who ultimately replaced Alex Smith in Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, drafted four years ago this month with the clear understanding that after one more season with Alex Smith, then Mahomes would become the starting quarterback. Here he is meeting with reporters today at the 
opening of the Chiefs offseason program, talking about the surgery to repair the turf toe that he had in his big left toe. Here's Mahomes. I mean, I think I'm progressing well. Um, I'm, I think I'm ahead of schedule myself. I mean, they obviously, we're trying to be cautious and not push me out there too soon. Um, but I'm, I'm doing what I can. I've gotten out of the boot finally. It took forever. Um, and now I'm, I'm getting trying to get back on the field and, and get that stuff working. And so uh, uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll keep me along that same pathway to, to I can be able to do hopefully do some stuff by the uh, end of the offseason. Yeah, bye-bye to the boot. We saw the picture on Easter Sunday with his family. The boot raised a lot of eyebrows by Thursday of that week out of the boot when he was in the product placement shots at Augusta for his deal with Adidas. So it wasn't entirely clear whether the boot was permanently gone or it was just shed long enough to to take the pictures in whatever the new offering is from Adidas that they want people to buy. Hey, they got two free mentions here by virtue of that. But Look, no reason to think he won't be ready to go. The bigger question is, can he avoid it in the future? Because will he have to run around all year long like he had to run around all year long this year to the point where eventually a ligament in your big toe in either foot is going to get strained and going to get torn and going to need to be surgically repaired? Well, yeah, and I think that that's something that the Chiefs clearly have to solve. They've been working to try and solve it on their offensive line, trying to get guys who can help protect Patrick Holmes. They obviously they went after Trent Williams. That didn't quite work out for their left tackle situation, but they were able to bring in Joe Thune. That, I think, is an upgrade at guard. You know, they also have brought in Kyle Long from retirement. That should maybe be an upgrade at guard, depending on how good he is in shape and all that, but they still have to figure out who their left tackle is going to be. And it's not just who their left tackle is going to be to start. They got to figure out who their backup left tackle is going to be too, because look, that's why Patrick Mahomes had to run around for nearly 500 yards behind the line of scrimmage in the Super Bowl is because their backup left tackle. And really it was, I think the third left tackle at that point or whatever combination of offensive line they had to do. It just wasn't good enough at that point. So Whenever you have something like that, depth is extremely important. And it's why some teams have been able to withstand injuries and be successful as they go along. Patrick Mahomes is one of the greatest people to ever throw a football. Like, I mean, look at what he does. It's incredible. Every single throw sometimes you just kind of drop your job. But at the same time, if you can't protect him, that's going to be a problem. So the Chiefs definitely still need to solve that offensive line issue. Yeah, they got to have a page or two in the playbook, too, where they keep a tight end in the block, keep a running back in to knock down a defensive lineman who gets around the edge and is coming after Patrick Mahomes. Because especially with an injured toe, he can't run circles around guys the way that he did without the injured toe. One way to keep him healthy, improve the offensive line. Here's an exchange from the media availability today regarding the offensive line. He was asked about it. He gave an answer. Here it is. Yeah, I mean, I think we have a lot of great guys in, in that offensive line room. Uh, guys that are ready to compete, guys uh, that played last year, and then guys that have a lot of experience coming in. Um, and that, that breeds competition, and you, you love that. That's in every single room in this, in this locker room is competition. You're going to go out there and compete and try to earn your way to earning a spot and uh, to find a way to be the best player you can be to try to get us to the Super Bowl. Based on the story last year of Andy and, and Brad reaching out to you during the first round of the draft, do you feel like you'll have uh, a bit of a say – uh, come this year with regards to how to, you know, keep fortifying that offensive line? 
Yeah, I mean, I try to I try to give my input on uh, on everything I can in this building of, of trying to help out the team in the best way possible. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I trust in in Veach and I trust in Coach Reed to make the right decision for the the betterment of the team. Um, and so if they ask me, I'll, I'll give my input and do all that do that different type of stuff. Um, but they they have a pretty good track record uh, track record of getting great players in this building. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. They drafted him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, that would have been great. That would have been an ultimate moment if he would have said, you know, by virtue of the fact that I'm standing here talking to you, they know what they're doing and they know how to do it. But they definitely, Miles, need to focus some of that on the offensive line and depth along the offensive line. And they did try to get Trent Williams. Didn't work. And, you know, we thought super team. We thought between the Bucks and the Chiefs, super team, there were a couple of guys they wanted to get that they didn't get, and they'd have loved to have had Trent Williams. But there's options in the draft, and they're going to need to get guys in and coach them up and get them ready to go. With Mahomes, you don't have to be Anthony Munoz in his prime because he will buy plenty of time on his own, but it would be nice if he didn't have to, given what happened last year with that foot. Nice Anthony Munoz drop there, uh, Mike. Yeah, he probably doesn't have to be Anthony Munoz in his prime. I don't really remember any Anthony Munoz's career, but, you know, that's okay. Uh, I think that what they're doing, though, with the offensive line is going to be interesting because they pick at 31st, right? And there is some good depth, apparently, with this offensive tackle and offensive line class. So they're going to have options. Now, who exactly those options are going to be remains to be seen, especially when you're picking that low in the first round. But I think we saw last year that they made the most of that low first round pick by getting a guy like Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And when you're picking that low and you have a team that has been to the Super Bowl for the last two years, you understand that there are only certain needs that you have. And we always talk about picking the best player available and all that. But I think it's more important to pick a guy who fits what you do. And you know that, especially when you're getting that guy in the first round, you can plug them in and they can play. And you're going to have that guy for five years, at least in theory, because of that fifth-year option. So because of all of that, I think that they're going to be able to pick somebody who's going to be able to come in there and help them. Whether it's at the offensive line or otherwise, we'll have to see. But at least looking at it right now, you'd have to think they're thinking offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. And we know from four years ago, they're not bashful about trading up to get a guy they love. They went from 27 to 10 to get Patrick Mahomes in the 2017 draft. And like many other teams, the fact that there will be a run on quarterbacks out of the gates could be as many as six taken before the Chiefs pick at number 31. That means more players that fit their needs get pushed down the board. And the Chiefs are in that zone where they could trade out of that spot, get some extra picks, and instead of rolling the dice on the best available offensive lineman at 31, get an extra lottery ticket, get more depth, get two bodies for the price of one by giving that 31st pick to somebody who maybe wants to come up to take what would be the sixth quarterback in the draft. One more cut from Mahomes, and this relates to the motivation that he has acquired, not through winning, but through losing, specifically the Super Bowl 31-9 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Here's Mahomes. The first year that I started, we lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. I mean, you have to let that stuff motivate you to get better each and every day. And so um, uh, you look back at that, and, and we were able to find a way to kind of flip a switch and, and make ourselves better and make a run at the Super Bowl the next year. And you have to try to have that same mentality of knowing that we've been there two years in a row now. We've won one, we lost one. But we have to find a way to, to get back and try to win it. 
Yeah, look, you find motivation in your success. You mind, you find maybe even more in your failure. And you think about the run of greatness this team has had. Three straight AFC championships, two straight Super Bowls. And I think it is that that shattering that comes from losing at the highest level that allows you to go back to zero and zero and start building again with a goal in mind. It's always hard to say, we just climbed the mountain. What are we going to do this year? We're going to climb the mountain. You mean the mountain we just climbed? Yeah, you're going to go climb it again. When you've been thrown back to the bottom, that gives you a little more of a kick. And they are going to be more driven this year. And Mahomes, learning from that, tormented by that, gets into the whole Trevor Lawrence discussion Sims and I had today, but tormented by adversity to the point where it drives you to try to achieve more greatness. And it sounds like that's what's going to happen for Mahomes. Well, the great ones, and you, this is probably something you discussed with Sims because you wrote it too, the great ones seem to have that screw loose and they seem to find motivation in even the slightest of slights, right? And this one is not really slight of a slight. You know, it's a pretty big thing that happened. They went to the Super Bowl. They tried to run it back. They almost did, but they came up short and they lost in a way that I don't think anybody anticipated that they would have lost, right? 31 to nine is certainly not a score that I was thinking that we would see see from the Buccaneers and also the Chiefs. So from that standpoint, yeah, I think Patrick Mahomes is certainly very motivated to get back to that level. And he said that, you know, he's watched the Super Bowl a couple of times. It still stings. Tyron Matthew kind of said the same sort of thing. He's watched it five, six times, you know, since that Super Bowl, that game, and that it hurts every single time. But what Matthew said I thought was interesting, and it's that, you know, this is the kind of loss that can sometimes derail a team. And so they have to use it as fuel, but they also have to put it behind them in order to make sure that they can get back to that level because every team every year is different. So you can certainly use that loss as motivation, but you also have to realize like, yeah, we're still starting at zero and we've got to climb that mountain again. And, you know, we've seen it happen in recent years, right? Uh, the Patriots won in 2016, the Super Bowl, then they lost in 2017, and then they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl nobody remembers in 2018 so we've seen this happen in recent years and it'll be interesting to see how the Chiefs do it just because you would like to forget it doesn't mean that, <laughs> Mike, that no one else remembers it Mike nobody remembers that Super Bowl they were playing Super Bowls on NFL Network a few weeks ago and they went from the 2016 Super Bowl to the 2017 Super Bowl to the Super Bowl that the Chiefs won. Nobody remembers that Super Bowl. I, I thought it was great. I loved being there. Maroon 5 played at halftime. I love Maroon 5, something that most people don't actually say or admit to, but I do. So I thought it was great, but nobody remembers that Super Bowl, man. The thing about Patrick Mahomes, because when, when we were talking about this, I'm thinking, here's a guy who is never going to be borderline petty about Ooh. disses and slights. But, you know, I remembered when they played the Bears a couple of years okay, ago yes. and things were going well. One, two, three, four. You know, and he counts 10. Oh, 10 against the guy that they drafted before him, eight spots. And then... Last year against the Ravens, he goes one, two, three, four, five, or four, whatever it was. Oh, it was four because it was the number of touchdown passes he threw, I believe. But it was also he was the fourth best player in the NFL, according to that, that time filler poll that the NFL does every year. And Lamar Jackson was number one. So he's not above finding motivation 
in the dumbest and most superficial and meaningless of places if it gives him that little kick in the butt. The thing is, when he shows it, it's in moments like that, and there's something kind of charming about it. He's not going to get behind a podium and whine about it. He's going to go do something about it, and then you're going to see a cheeky little reaction by him as he's making his way to the sideline after he throws another touchdown pass. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because that's the one thing that I was thinking about, him counting on his fingers, especially that game against the Bears. And then, of course, he did it, like you said, against Lamar Jackson. Look, this is a guy who has that gene where he just takes whatever slight he can and he uses it as motivation. And that is what the greatest ones do. And the other funny thing about him is you're saying he's not going to stand behind that podium and then start talking about exactly what he was doing. He even denied the fact that what he was doing with that Mitchell Trubisky thing with uh, when he was picked 10th overall and Trubisky was picked second. He, he denied that that had anything to do with draft positions. Like, I don't know. I was just counting things on my fingers. Yes, sir. You are the count because that's all you want to do. Right? No, we know what you were doing. He knows what he was doing, but he's not so petty that he's going to tell you exactly what he was doing. Maybe in 20 years or whatever it is, we'll get a documentary like we got from Michael Jordan. And he'll say all the things that, you know, who confirm all the things that we actually know about him now. And to spin it back to Trevor Lawrence, the reality is he's yet to have anything that could be regarded as a slight. Unless he wants to say, I should have won a Heisman Trophy and I'm upset about that. But he's going to be the first overall pick. We've known he was going to be the first overall pick in this draft since his true freshman season. So no one is doubting him. The only thing he can have a chip on his shoulder about is whether or not he's got a chip on his shoulder. So maybe he's starting to learn because he kind of did have a chip on his shoulder over the weekend about the fact that people were criticizing him for not having a chip on his shoulder. The Ravens have a chip on their shoulder because, God forbid, we notice that their receivers aren't very good. They can't attract great receivers because they don't throw the football very well. But don't tell that to general manager Eric DaCosta. That makes him a little bit salty. Here he is from earlier today. But we want to have good players at every position. You know, I'm aware that there's some fan discontent with our wide receivers and our drafting and all that. I mean, but in, in general, I look at our record and how we win games and how we play football, and I'm proud of the team. I know Coach is proud. I know Joe is proud. So we've got some really good young receivers. It's insulting to these guys when they hear that we don't have any receivers. It's quite insulting. I'm insulted by it, too, to be honest. So I think we've got some guys that want to show everybody what they can do. Exactly. Motivation. Use any and all slights, actual or perceived, to get these guys motivated. And he said they have some good young receivers. Why do they have good young receivers? Because the only way they can get receivers is to draft them because the free agents don't want to go there. Sammy Watkins did because it's not like he had a bunch of suitors clamoring at his door. Juju Smith-Schuster took less money to stay in Pittsburgh. Guys don't want to go to an offense where the ball isn't being thrown. And that's not a Lamar Jackson slight. That is a Ravens offense slight. That's what they do. Look at that. Pass attempts per game, last in the league. Pass yards per game, last in the league. That's because they run it so well. Something's got to give. There's only one football, and when you skew toward the run, you're not going to pass. And when you don't pass, you're not going to attract receivers to your team, period.
Yeah, exactly. Look, I mean, they were the league's best rushing team. They had a they had their quarterback go over a thousand yards rushing for the second year in a row. It's never happened before. So there is a reason why they are still effective on offense. It's the run game. But I think when you are 32nd, dead last in both passing yards and passing attempts, it means you're really not even trying to throw the ball all that much. And again, when you run the ball as effectively as they do, it makes sense. So I get what DaCosta is saying. You know, I'm proud of the team. We're still winning games. Of course they're winning games. And they may or may not be the best team in that division. I think that you can certainly make an argument that they still are. However, I think to say, you know, oh, we have these good young wide receivers and they're insulted. Look, Marquise Brown had 58 catches for 769 yards and eight touchdowns last year. That led the team in yards and also he tied for the team lead in receptions with Mark Andrews and in order to find your next wide receiver on that list you have to go all the way down to Willie Sneed who had 33 catches for 432 yards I'm sorry you're insulted Eric DaCosta but my man that is not effective wide receiving because you're not throwing the ball so I don't know how you I mean I, I just that's fine that you want to be insulted and that, yeah, you may have good young wideouts, but you at least got to get something more out of that passing game, man. I remember it was Hollywood Brown who at one point during the season, during one of their stretches where things weren't going well, had a tweet criticizing the way he was being used. And finally, later in the season, they began to develop creative ways to get the ball in Hollywood Brown's hands. That's the challenge. It's a challenge of coaching. You got one football, you got 11 players. Find a way to get the ball into the hands of all of the skill position players, not just the ones who who you know are going to gain yardage. It's like that play in Madden that works all the time. You just keep doing it because it works. The problem is you could develop other facets of your of your attack and you just aren't trying because it's too easy to go with those two or three plays that work all the time. So we'll see if they can do it this year with Marquise Brown entering his third season with Sammy Watkins on the team. We'll see if they can continue to develop and also whoever they draft who won't have any choice but to join the Ravens in another year that is very deep at the draft position. The draft is very deep at the quarterback position, or at least quarterbacks at the top of the draft that we're talking about. And there's been a lot of speculation about what the New England Patriots are going to do. Could they trade up if one of these guys like Trey Lance slips past the top 10? Bill Belichick dropping some breadcrumbs last week to suggest maybe they would. We can't overlook the fact, as Sims and I discussed today, that Belichick loves Cam Newton. And one of the reasons he loves Cam Newton, at a time when topic A throughout the NFL Guys choosing to stay away from voluntary offseason workouts. Who's there with bells on? Day one, Cam Newton. Ready to do what he didn't have the chance to do last year. Didn't join the Patriots until late June. Wasn't available to do anything until training camp. Was learning on the fly. Now he knows the offense. He's learning it better. He's in the building. He's around. He's soaking it in. That's all the Patriots can really ask for. And I think that's one of the reasons why they maybe shouldn't be desperate to find a quarterback they can develop because this guy's only a decade into his career. He's got years left. You don't have to go draft a guy that's going to sit behind Cam Newton maybe for two, three, four years like a Jordan Love in Green Bay. So I think this Cam Newton factor, he's there, he's getting ready, and I think he's going to be pretty good this year. I think that makes it less likely the Patriots go all in on a quarterback in round one and try to maybe move up to get one of the top five five guys, Miles. 
Okay, two things. I mean, A, I don't necessarily know that I see the Patriots moving all the way up, you know? Just, that doesn't, I, was, I mean, I'm gonna say it doesn't seem to be in their MO, but neither did, you know, signing all those free agents. But also, I just, I don't know about Cam Newton, man. I, I just, I think that he was an effective quarterback at some points in the season last year. And I think COVID seemed to affect him. And, you know, you look at the numbers pre and post COVID, there were some things there that are kind of eye-opening. But I, I also just, I don't know, you look at some of those games that he had, and I didn't watch every single Patriots game last year, but I, man, I'm, that game that he played against the Los Angeles Rams on Thursday night football, man, my goodness. I know that the Rams defense was the best in the league last year, but boy, he just, Cam Newton did not look like he could be an effective quarterback for a 17-game season. And by that, I mean somebody that you can rely on to also make the throws as well as the runs that he can obviously make. And so I, I don't know that they need to be desperate to find a quarterback, but at the same time, I'm just not sure if Cam Newton is going to be the guy who's going to be able to lead you to the promised land from the standpoint that your quarterback kind of has to throw us the ball sometimes, right? I mean, this is almost the same thing we were just talking about with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. I'm just, I'm not convinced that Cam Newton can do that. But I think when we're talking about guys coming in and making sure that they're in front of coaches to win a roster spot, this is exactly what we mean. This is why all this NFL PA stuff and all these statements, you know, whatever they're going to say, what they're going to say, but guys are still going to show up because guys want a job. And when it comes down to it, they're going to be selfish in that regard, if you can even call it that, and show up to these voluntary workouts so they get a leg up. Cam Newton doesn't, me to, doesn't need me to take up his cause. He's a former NFL MVP. There were problems last year, and I really do think it was a COVID-19 situation. And, th and think about this. They went to L.A. for two games with only three days between them. They played on a Sunday. They played on a Thursday. On Sunday, they looked great against the Chargers. It was that Thursday night game against the Rams that it went off the rails. You know, and, and Newton, he denied having brain fog in the aftermath of having COVID. Something wasn't right because pre-COVID, not a huge sample size, but they beat the crap out of the Raiders. And I, they, I think they could have well, given the Chiefs everything they could handle. They did. They did give the Chiefs everything they could handle without Cam Newton. So you know, right. at a time when we've heard so much about guys who aren't going to be there or who say they aren't going to be there, there's been a lot of huff and puff over the course of the last week. We'll see how many houses get blown down. But when Cam Newton is there day one, and when you consider all the guys they've added at the skill position, specifically tight end and receiver, to help him – I think we're going to see a different Cam Newton this year. And I think if Bill Belichick believes that, that makes him more likely to say, thank you that there's going to be five quarterbacks taken before I pick at number 15 instead of I have to go get one of them. So the second time you've referenced the three little pigs, I feel like in the last two or three weeks, Mike, you're just reading nursery rhymes. What's going on with you, man? I, I, I like saying huff and puff in that context <laughs> and only that context. That's fun. No, but I mean, I agree with you at the, at the certain point, right? Like it just, it feels like the Patriots could certainly wait until they get on the clock at 15, see what's available to them. Maybe if a quarterback does slip, if it's a guy that they really feel like they believe in, yeah, you pick him there. Or, you know, maybe you just trade back and you do the thing that I feel like you would think the Patriots would do, which is gain a little bit more picks gain some more flexibility there and just pick a guy who fits exactly what you want to do and continue to try to build this offense around Cam Newton. 
I understand why someone would want to build their offense around somebody who was a past MVP. And it really wasn't that long ago that Cam Newton was still playing at a high level. But I think over the last couple of years with all the different injuries that he's had, especially that injury to his shoulder, it's just... I just, I, I hate to say that Cam Newton has something to prove because he was an MVP, right? Like they, they went to the Super Bowl, they were 15 and one. He doesn't necessarily have something to prove, but he also does because he still has to prove that he can stay healthy and be an effective passer for a 17 game season. So I don't, I don't like using that term, but it's the only term that's coming to my brain right now for him. Well, and to the extent we talk about guys finding motivation and being doubted, there aren't many quarterbacks being doubted more currently than Cam Newton in the NFL. So if that's where he's looking for motivation, if that's how he's wired, he doesn't have to make it up. He doesn't have to pretend that somebody said something bad about him the night before he goes out and has a big game. Yeah, I mean, it's look, everyone is doubting. Not everyone, but a lot of people are just like, is this really the guy in 2015? No. How close is he to being that guy, and how close can he ever come to being that guy again? Cowboys trying to be – that team again, 26 years after they were last in the NFC Championship, they're one of the teams that had a video conference to talk about the NFLPA recommendation that guys don't show up for off-season workouts, and they're one of the teams that have not yet issued a statement. Well, plenty of Cowboys in the building for today's start of the off-season program. And again, it's just lifting and conditioning if you show up. The meetings all happen virtually if you want them to and I think they all are happening virtually but you go to the building to actually work out and get your credit towards your workout bonus or just check the box on your off-season plan to be in the best possible shape you can be so Cowboys players are there not all of them but it, it rarely is all of them you know we don't track the comings and goings during the first phase of of off-season workouts because it's not like they punch a time clock that's available to us. You see some guys walk in, you see other guys not walk in. Some guys are available to the media, some guys aren't. But, Miles, the Cowboys not yet issuing that statement. And I think anybody who hasn't issued a statement by now, given that we're into it, I, I, I they're, they're past the deadline. They still can, but they're past the deadline of it having any meaning since we're already into the program. Yeah, and look, the Cowboys weren't the only ones who had guys in the facility. I saw reports of the Dolphins, the Raiders. Um, John Harbaugh talked about the fact that there were guys in that building, too, for the for the Ravens. So this is, again, it's something that's going to keep happening around the league, despite what these statements were. Guys are going to come in, and they're going to work out, and we'll see what happens. And when we get to mid-May and they start doing OTAs, Maybe guys will be there, maybe they won't, but I think those guys in the bubble are going to be there. Significant development today in the Deshaun Watson civil action, all 22 of them. A filing and a statement from his lawyer will tell you what was said and what was done when PFTPM continues. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Significant development in the Deshaun Watson civil litigation. 22 plaintiffs filing lawsuits against Watson alleging misconduct during massage therapy sessions. Watson going all in. If there was any doubt that Watson and his camp believed that these victims, alleged victims, were telling the truth, they made it clear in the filing. It was just a six-page document that was submitted in each of the 22 cases. And in a statement from Rusty Harden, Deshaun Watson's lawyer, they believe all 22 of the plaintiffs are lying. That is a bold claim. And that is something that is going to be difficult to sustain. Because it's one thing to catch one in a lie. It's one thing to catch two. It's one thing to catch 20. To get all 22 and to show that all 22 are lying and all 22 are making a money grab, that is a bold, bold, bold move, Miles. Well, it seemed really bold to me just reading it, right? And, and you know, reading both the court filing and then the statement from Rusty Harden. I, I just, I feel like even when, you know, Harden is talking and he says, you know, there are only two of the 22 lawsuits that allege forced sexual activity. Look, it just, when you're saying only in that context, it doesn't matter if it's only, right? It, it, it's one, more than one, it doesn't matter. That's still a very serious allegation. And so I, I just feel like, yes, it's absolutely something very, very bold. And I guess my question to you, Mike, did they have to go this bold? Because I feel like they didn't. But when you're going and you're a defense attorney, I feel like I can understand why you also would want to be very bold in taking a step to deny the allegations. There are certain documents that will be filed in high profile cases for the benefit of the court. There are certain documents that will be filed in such cases for the benefit of the media. This is a document that was filed solely for the benefit of the media. This is taking the court of law process and turning it into a court of public opinion weapon, plain and simple. There's no relevance to the claims of each of the individual plaintiffs as it relates to the claims that the others are lying in some way or bragged about giving Deshaun Watson a massage or showed up to massage him again after an alleged incident of misconduct or told their family members how great the experience was. It's an effort to bring down all 22 by taking on the ones where so far they've found problems. And I didn't see Ashley Solis's name, for example, mentioned among the list of the individuals where they have a specific concern, specific proof, specific allegation based upon the fact that they now have all the names. So this was for our benefit. This was the big reveal of the position. And 
the key sentence from the Rusty Harden statement that we had up on the screen, there's a lot there, but there's one sentence that sums it all up. The answer to the question of whether we are saying that all 22 plaintiffs are lying about the allegations of sexual misconduct by Mr. Watson is a resounding yes. They are claiming that all 22 are liars. And I think they're doing this, Miles, to apply settlement pressure to the plaintiffs. I think they've been trying to get Tony Busby, who represents all of them, to come to the table and to try to work something out. But Busby knows there's benefit in being unpredictable. There's value in being coy. It could drive up the price for each of the individual plaintiffs. I think what he's trying to do is put pressure on Busby that's going to come from his clients. Because now his phone's going to start ringing and clients are going to say, what, did you see what they said about me? What are we going to do about this? And if you start getting some clients who are feeling a little wobbly, a little less confident about their cases, that's the thing that could push the whole case to the table. And that could be the thing that allows a potential settlement for all 22 cases. Because regardless of what they're saying here, I still think it's in Deshaun Watson's interest to have his reckoning, to work it out to the satisfaction of the individuals, and move on. And this may have been intended to lay the foundation for that. Well, then that makes sense. I mean, the, the I feel like if you're Rusty Harden, right, the quicker that you can get Tony Busby to the table with all 22 of these women who are suing Deshaun Watson and then say, how can we resolve this and figure out a way to resolve it? That's better for Deshaun Watson in his life and in his career, because those are the two things that I think that, you know, if you are representing Deshaun Watson, those are your interests, right? What is the best thing for my client in his life and in his career? So from that standpoint, if this statement and these court filings were released for, for our benefit so that we're now talking about it and we are now basically saying all of these things um, and repeating what Rusty Harden was able to, to put in those both documents there, then we are going to be able to kind of have that court of public opinion start maybe changing, right? I think that's at least the aim. And that's something that Rusty Harden has said that, you know, they want to make sure that there is still some sort of level playing field here in the court of public opinion. But no matter what, when you have 22 alleged victims, that number is still always going to be in people's minds. And so I don't know how successful or unsuccessful the effort is today from Deshaun Watson's camp in sort of changing that perception. The fact that all 22 lawsuits were or are being responded to now, it's putting the pressure on the plaintiffs and it's setting the stage for a potential resolution that would allow Rusty Harden to claim on Deshaun Watson's behalf that this aggressive response exposing the problems is what is what caused these cases to settle. That's a way to maybe get back some of the reputation, although even if this all goes away today, there's going to be people who say, what the hell is Deshaun Watson doing getting all these massages? And he's admitted through his lawyer to some of these massages becoming consensual sexual activity. So that part of it is never going away. He just needs the hope that he can find a way to distance himself from the perception that there was wrongdoing happening, non-consensual behavior occurring or people being pressured to do so. Let's take a break. We're going to have a mailbag coming up on this Monday edition of PFTPM. We'll be back after this. Gregory, there's there's always one box that I check when it's time to talk to the guys getting ready to get drafted. And it's whether or not you've pulled up Madden, created a player that is you, and tried on all the different uniforms to see which one looks best. Have you done it and which one looks best? 
Of course. I mean, I don't know. I can't say which one looks best, but I've been doing this since I was a little kid. So, of course, I've done that. <laughs> that's my that's my whole life right there. I love Madden. I think just me being able to step away and, you know, a lot of people being able to step away from the campus can be a positive and a negative. But I think just with me um, having more freedom to myself and, you know, really constructing my own schedule, um, yeah. it, it showed a lot of accountability from me. Um, but, you know, I went back and watched um, every snap from my junior year and uh, just really I took notes on positive, negatives, And, you know, I had a whole spiral um, full of just a bunch of notes. And, you know, after watching everything, you know, I was just to myself, I was like, you know, I promise I'm ne never going to be that type of quarterback again. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of it was a lot of inconsistency, you know, not from the physical, but just because. Um, I had a fear of always making mistakes and, uh, you know, not being perfect. Right. So, you know, going into my, my um, obviously spring ball was canceled, going into fall camp, you know, I just went in with 100% confidence and, you know, not necessarily that I didn't care that I missed, but I was going to throw everything, you know, you know, like like my life was like dependent on it. Right. Like it was national championship breath. So um, and then going into the season, you know, that was that same type of approach. Um, you know, whether it was thrown over the middle, thrown the deep ball, um, pretty much anything I was going to throw with 100% confidence. One thing that I saw that really resonated with me, the thing that your grandfather said to you when you were 10 years old, Aziz, you were quiet, you were going somewhere, you were going to be somebody. What kind of an impact did that have on you at that age? And what kind of an impact does it have on you still today? Yeah, definitely, man. It's, it's, big, it's a big impact on me, just believing in him and myself. And just knowing that people believe in you, your loved ones, and just knowing that they see it, they, they, they done seen it, they done saw it already, and it's just kept believing in me. And now the moment is coming here, and I'm just ready for it, and I've just been praying and just just keeping my faith in God, and everything's, it's, everything's working out for me well, and it's just, just thankful. Sure. Now, you're 6'3". How tall is your brother, BJ? He's about 6'3", the same height. I saw a picture of you with your parents. Unless you were standing on a box, <laughs> you're a lot taller than them. How's that happen? <laughs> Oh, yeah, nah, uh, yeah, we, I'm definitely way taller, but our grandparents are definitely tall, so we probably we get it from them on that side, my mom's side, for sure. When, when you are with your brother and it's time for a picture, which guy gets up on his tiptoes? <laughs> nah, nobody. We're the same height, so it's like, I'm a, I'm a little taller than him by a little bit, but he, he's going to probably pass me. So you're the one that gets on your toes? Nah, I'm, I'm already, you know, he gets on his toes. Uh, that's great stuff. Hey, Aziz, we wish you all the best. Congratulations on your career so far. We can't wait to see what happens for you coming up in the draft, and uh, we look forward to seeing you blossom and flourish as an NFL player. Congratulations on all your success and all the best moving forward. Hope to talk to you again real soon. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Th thanks for having me. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Troubling news today out of Louisiana. Alden Smith, who just signed with the Seahawks last week, wanted for second-degree battery. There's supposedly a video of the incident. He has yet to be arrested or located. There was a bulletin issue that he is currently wanted. We'll see what the facts ultimately bear out. But we were praising him last week as a guy who's turned his life around, and this is a a, a definite setback in that regard. No matter how it plays out, it will test his resolve to stay on the right path. And we just hope that he finds his way back to the right path. If he's off it or if he hasn't strayed from it, this doesn't pull him away from the progress he's made the past couple of years, Miles. Absolutely. And, you know, the Seahawks issued a statement saying that they're aware of the situation and won't have any further comment until something else develops. So, like you said, you just you hope that it doesn't take him off the path too far after getting back into the league after four years away. Elsewhere today, Trey Lance had pro day two again. These quarterbacks are having multiple pro days because they can't have private workouts this year. And the Falcons, a team near the top of the draft that seems to be paying very careful attention to Lance. But the 49ers, hey, who knows what the hell they're going to do with the third overall pick in the draft. Here's Trey Lance doing his thing, rolling left and throwing it down the field. The Zach Wilson throw, sort of. But uh, he's going to be one of the top prospects. He could go as high as four, maybe as high as three in theory. We'll see how that plays out. All right, we got questions. Let's get to these real quickly. Dr. J144, is the comparison between Andrew Luck and Trevor Lawrence's hunger for football appropriate? Luck didn't leave by choice. His body and mind gave out because of an incompetent GM running the team until until Chris Ballard arrived. Please, Dr. J, tell us how you really feel about Ryan Grigson. Luck didn't leave early because he didn't love football enough, right? Well, I I think the, the, the overlap, if there is any, is that Luck decided that life is bigger than football, and he's moving on from football. Not everybody who can play quarterback into his 40s is going to play quarterback into his 30s. That's the point. And with Lawrence... Maybe he decides in his early 30s, I'm going to move on to something else. You can't rule that out based upon his comments from last week. Well, right. I mean, he was basically talking about the fact that there is more to life than football. Football isn't everything to me. And I think that it's not necessarily fair to say like, yeah, you know, that means that Trevor Lawrence after a couple of years is going to be up and out. I don't think that we know that, but we also don't know just how long he's going to play. We don't know how long, you know, he's going to really have that competitive edge and that competitive fire to say, this is exactly what I want to do for as long as I possibly can. It's just, we don't know yet. And Part of that comes from his comments. I think the problem is that so many football fans, ardent fans, can't process the notion that a guy with the abilities to play in the NFL wouldn't want to do so for as long as he possibly could. Because most fans, if they had the ability to do so, would play as long as they possibly could. It's foreign to the zealous fan because the reality is a lot of guys who are good enough to play in the NFL, they could take it or leave it. They're doing it because it, it, it pays pretty damn well, not because they love football. 
Well, yeah, but I think that, like, that's something you could say about pretty much any profession, right? People switch jobs all the time, so maybe they should just look a little internally to figure that out and relate to Trevor Lawrence a little more. Are you trying to give me a message there when you talk about switching jobs? You haven't been here very long. <laughs> now you got me concerned. No, I'll I'm ponder not. tonight and discuss no. it tomorrow. Have a great evening. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.